What's going on, everybody? It is a brand new episode of the Future. The first of the season. Sixers are three games in. Excited to bring on a good friend of mine, Rich Hoffman, who uh, is, is with PHL Sports. They have expanded from, it was PHNX, it was CHI, Phoenix and Chicago, of course. And then now they have reached the Philadelphia market. And so he, along with Derek Bodner, Kyle Newbeck, are now with PHL leading the charge there in a lot of ways. Rich, how are you? Austin, good to see you, my friend. I'm doing fine. Uh, I am not quite recovered from the Phillies going 0-2 at home in Game 6 and 7 of that series. I, a Part of our season ticket plan was Game 6 on Monday. That was obviously not great. And then Tuesday morning on a whim, I said to my, to my, to myself and to my cousins, they probably won't win. They probably won't lose two in a row at home with Ranger Suarez starting in game seven. Let's just, let's just go. We'll have a great memory. It'll be history. And they farted all over themselves. So it's your fault, huh? Well, yeah, essentially the worst part was, I went to game two. I'm a winner. Come on, come on, (laughs) man. You didn't bring it home (laughs) for us. Yeah, it was, uh, it was awful. That was, I don't know. I'm, I'm not watching any of the World Series. I'm like aware of the score of the games, though. And like, man, that's just, just not great. You know, when you see the Rangers beat the hell out of the, the Diamondbacks in a bullpen game, I think it's, look, it's, it's a lot of things that went into it. You know, like the fact that they just could not lay off average pitches that were going out of the zone. Um, really frustrating you know and i guess the phillies have done this in some ways to the braves over the past couple of years but it doesn't make it any better it just felt like one of the bigger missed opportunities uh we have ever seen and uh yeah i, I don't know it's, it's gonna take me a while to get over it like it's just brutal <laughs> it's it's so annoying to like be looking over at the box score like checking in on the games and be like oh they just let up Brendan the Fott for six runs. Yeah. They're like, oh, the bullpen guys that the Phillies couldn't touch are just getting re- destroyed. And it's like, oh, this is what it's like. <laughs> it's brutal. It's so bad. I saw a tweet. Uh, it just came across my For You tab where apparently Fott was much worse in that game. Like, as much as I am dumping on the Phillies, and they look like Deserve it. yeah. it's one of the bigger chokes we've ever seen unfortunately like i don't like saying it but it's it's true um i did see a tweet that uh like he was much more in the middle of the plate in that game against the rangers where against the phillies he was really good he was locating all of his pitches and sure i think they should have done better against him and laid off some of those pitches but yeah well that's uh that's the other side of the coin of baseball and it just yeah it just ended so quickly like i i left that game too and the idea that they wouldn't have won that series after leaving that game, they went 10, nothing. They just beat the hell out of them and, you know, are on such a high and they're having so much fun and all of these things for the, the season to end in a week like that. I just, I wasn't ready to process it. So I I'm feeling a little bit better, like, but I, I will say the, the day after, I guess that was Wednesday, Thursday. Those were, those are rough days, man. Like that was, that was like old school Eagles lose in the NFC championship game before they've won a Super Bowl. Like that was, that was a rough wake up the next day. I, I have not felt hurt by sports. I, I certainly didn't feel as hurt by the Super Bowl as much in the last year, uh, just because of the nature of that game. <laughs> that was rough, man. 
game seven was worse for me because like I was, well, I was a designated driver because uh, it was my idea to go. And like my cousin's a doc, my cousin's a doctor. His wife is a physician's assistant. They had to get up early. I had to get up early for work. And you're just sitting in the parking lot, rotting in, in, in ter- inside as every car takes six minutes to get out. And it's like, oh, and over an hour, it's about, it's about 12 midnight now. And we are just getting out of the bank. And so it's like, oh, and I have to get up at 645. So just <laughs> murderous torture waiting to get out of that parking lot so you can get home. And, and, uh, and all I could think about was, God, is this what the is this what the the, the Bucks uh, title game was like when the Eagles lost it? Uh, you know, but, but, but I was before I was I knew it, I knew anything about sports, but that was like that's what people talk about, and I felt like that was what I was watching. It's, it was really bad, and I, I guess we're we're starting this pod on a on a very uplifting <laughs> note, but yeah, that was that was brutal. I mean, I you know I think the the only things I can compare it to are. I, I think the Bucks game is the only one because even like in the Sixers case, like when they lost to Trey Young and the Hawks, um, first off, I wasn't quite as invested in that. I'm just covering the team. Um, but certainly I'm invested in kind of the drama and all of those things and understand the stakes and certainly understood, you know, what a massive disappointment and loss and missed opportunity that was. I think the difference is that Sixers team probably wasn't going to win the championship. They probably yeah. were losing to Milwaukee in the next round. Who knows? You know, maybe Giannis gets hurt. Again, in that round, and and they can squeak through. You know, the Hawks did win two games, but realistically, with all of the issues Ben was having, like it seemed kind of far fetched that they were going to be able to uh, to win a title. This Phillies team actually felt like they could win the title, and that's what just kills you here. Yeah, I, it's funny. Alex Coffee of the Inquirer wrote was was it was asking you know for fan perspective on uh, you know why it hurt so much after the fact and that question put my brain in a pretzel and so as i was pondering what i would want to say you know uh, as someone who is on the sixers beat and then potentially being quoted in the newspaper i was trying to like be careful about what i wanted to say and i just kept coming back to this idea like the phillies over the last two playoff runs with their bats made you feel like and baseball is like such an unforgiving sport that like you go you go one per 13 with runners scoring position like you're probably not going to win that game you, you know you you make too many mistakes over the plate as a pitcher and you're down three runs already and you know the phillies except for the world series against the astros and they made you feel like there was nothing they were they were they were invincible in a way and they could overcome any of their own mistakes and there was you know it, it, the, the game would forgive them for you know a deficit or for craig kimbrell leaving a pitch over the plate and it it was like oh this is what it's really like is you know you have all this regret in the end and all i'm going to remember from the series is is kimbrell giving up a two-run homer to alec thomas and to, to blow that lead and that was space that that was you could argue the series right there and we'll never know what, what could have been <laughs> that's great was, that game four is just that's an it's an all-timer you know thompson going to the bullpen so early which meant he had to use Kimbrel, which was a mistake. The Phillies only scoring five runs in, in a bullpen game. They probably should have scored more. And yeah, I mean, I think the the problem with this Phillies team is the, the thing this playoff series will do. And by the way, we will rebound. We will watch this team. I'm sure they will be very good again next year. Is that they had this reputation. They had this aura that they were just playoff gamers. Like 
not only could little mistakes not hurt them, they weren't going to make little mistakes. Like they, in the biggest moments, the other team was going to make the mistakes. And I think when you lose a series to an opponent that is worse than you, when you lose it in that fashion, when you lose the final two games, which you attended at home, uh, they don't have that reputation anymore. I, I cannot look at them in the same way. Hopefully they can, uh, they can rebound and change that uh, next year. But I, I think certainly I'm going to look at them a little bit differently. And that's, that's unfortunate. The playoffs sucks. It's a small sample size, but it's sports being a fan. It's, it's not rational. And I think in that case, like it's just hard to, to look at them the same way after that series. And then what a way to segue into what was coming next, which was the start of the Sixers season. Of course, uh, the, the great team that you covered, I chose to cover and man, it was the James Harden saga was a great run. Uh, I underestimate or I overestimated how much I would enjoy having to be up at 3 a.m. writing about a trade. Uh, when it broke at 1.30, I was like, oh, this will be fun. And then I was like, oh, actually, I'm tossing and turning because um, I want to wait for the to know what this a mystery team additional pick is going to be. And eventually I was just like, just like all right, it, it might break while I'm writing. Let's just get on with it and, and do it. And then yesterday was a very long day because you're like trying to fight and fight, stay, stay awake and you know, you're just like, like, man, this sucks to be up at 3.30 in the morning on a weekday. <laughs> uh, but the trade is done. It, uh, it was made official today. As you know, a bunch of role players coming back to Philadelphia, Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, Covington, uh, Kaden Martin, and then a bunch of draft picks. The 2028 first round pick unprotected. 2026, it's the, it's the least favorable of three different picks Oklahoma City owes. And then a pick swap with two seconds. James Harden out the door. Tucker out the door. Petrushev out the door. And then out the door again to Sacramento today. Um, what was your first reaction to that trade when it went down? Other than, God damn it, it's 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was finishing. I, I actually had finished my newsletter at PHLY, like, which go to my Twitter account, rich underscore Hoffman, go sign up for it. You can get it every day. It is completely free. Unlike my old place costs, nothing just pops in your email inbox. If you like even two of the four Philadelphia teams, I think you'll find it. It's uh, a great newsletter. I read it every day. Find it worth it. Thank you, buddy. So the, I, I was done and I, I generally go to bed pretty late. So I'm, I'm kind of sitting there watching TV, just winding down, you know, after you're done writing, sometimes you don't want to go to bed right away. I'm, I think I'm watching like Shark Tank or some ridiculous television just to kind of turn my brain off before I go to bed. And I, I still do have Woj on, on text alert, obviously, which I'm sure you do too. And, you know, anybody who is either interested or who covers the the league is, is kind of their job. So I, I see it and I'm like, oh, oh man. And I think that the first thing that came to mind was it was pretty much the exact same thing as the Tobias trade what was that four years ago at this point that broke in the middle of the night too. And I remember I had to call Derek Bodner and just be like, Hey man, get your ass up. Like there's a huge trade here. I didn't (laughs) think this was going to happen. And he, you know, he wrote and I wrote kind of different stories that night. And then I I guess it's more of a Clippers than Sixers thing because the other thing was uh, when I was out at summer league in, uh, in Las Vegas, I think it broke at midnight in the West. So like, you know, I was barely awake there and, you know, 3 a.m. out here, like the, the Clippers, the, that, that was the, uh, sorry, that was the Paul George, Kawhi Leonard trade, obviously. So all of their big transactions just break in the middle of the night. So I think 
my first thought was unlike you who you know was covering the team and doing a great job on a on a daily basis i don't do that anymore i kind of just write this newsletter um and then i spew some takes on a podcast so basically what i said in the newsletter was i waited for Woj to uh to send out the details on the trade because by the way that was wild that was like 10 minutes late (laughs) i was i dude i think it was like 20 minutes i i went back to watching shark tank for a minute i was like okay like is he did he get this wrong like did he (laughs) i mean i I certainly didn't think he got it wrong but i was like man he must have jumped the gun somewhat here which um you know so (laughs) i'm just sitting there i'm just like all right i'll just nobody else is texting me at you know two o'clock in the morning so you know, when I see my phone light up, I'm sure it'll be Woj with the, uh, with the tweet. So yeah, I, I just thought it was crazy. And then obviously the, uh, you know, the picks come in, I was curious about that. And I think I, I changed my newsletter. I erased the hardened section I wrote and I, uh, deleted all that. And then I just wrote at the top, I'm going to bed. He did get traded and I'll write more about this for the next day's newsletter, like, or whatever. So that was my, that was kind of how I learned about it. And I think my main thought was just like, okay, this is great from our standpoint. Like, you know, but before we get into what the Sixers got, like, was, is it good? Is it bad? Like I was just kind of sick of talking about James Harden. Like he clearly didn't want to play here all that much. And again, I'm not covering the team on the daily basis that I used to, but even, even so, like I'm sick of just, reading like oh is he going to sabotage the team this way that way i certainly didn't have like i didn't sense the emotional connection of the ben simmons nonsense that whole year but also i was just like this is just so tired like can we just can can we and when i say we i mean can daryl and lawrence frank just get together and can they just can they get this done so i think it was good i think it's good that he never played a game in a sixers uniform i mean it would have been funny in a ridiculous way to see him half-ass it up and down the court or, you know, see all the shenanigans he would have pulled. I'm, I'm sure that would have been funny, but I think from a, like, do we enjoy watching, but I enjoy just watching the actual basketball element of it. And obviously this team has played pretty well in the first three games of the season. And they're playing kind of an aesthetically pleasing style. It's like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm happy that, that this is over with, we know what they got and they could proceed with, uh, with this team for at least a couple months here. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think like my first reaction was, okay, the pick is unprotected. And that 2028 pick, I mean, when you're gambling on future first round picks and you're giving away, and you're, 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 you're the team relinquishing the, the best player in the deal, you're basically asking, okay, what is this bet on? Like, what are you betting on in this deal? And the Sixers were like, I would love to take a flyer on the, on the Clippers being terrible in 2028 when James Harden, Kawhi, and Paul George, if they're still there, are just on you know, the, the retirement tour basically. And then the team, they're almost, they're almost going to be 40. Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. they're, they're old as hell. Yeah. Like, like it's like, it, if it's not one of the most valuable picks in the league right now, it should be regarded as one of the most valuable picks in the league in two years, let's say. So that, that lines up well for the Sixers. Um, and then the 2026 pick is like, you know, it's any first round pick, relatively speaking is valuable, right? The first round pick, but, you know, the, the least favorable, let's say it's likely going to be Oklahoma City's own pick because they'll probably be pretty good by 2026. So not as valuable, but there's still, you know, value in some team saying, hey, we'll give you this pick that's probably you could pencil in between 18 and 24, let's say, in the draft. Like not not as valuable as 2028, but still pretty valuable. Um, 
and then you have the the the, the draft the, the swap, which I is one through three protected. I think according to John Hollinger, I think any team. I think that was actually probably the second most valuable pick in the trade because I think I I think many teams would love to bet against the Sixers and the Clippers being terrible by that time. So it's like okay, this is like, like I, I'll take my odds of this being you know four through whatever in the draft, and then you have one of the second round picks is a, is essentially another first round pick because of how high it will likely be. So, I mean, I think given what they had in play and given the fact that James didn't want to be there, uh, given the fact that the Sixers actually had a little bit more leverage in talks because of how good Tyrese has been so far, I think that's a deal that you walk away from. You're like, yeah, I think we did pretty well there. And, you know, you, you get off the player who doesn't want to be there. You clean PJ's salary off your books for next year. Ostensibly, he would have opted in at eleven and a half million at his age. He's, he's uh, opted in. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> he would he would do that right now if he could. That's, oh yeah, that's over. Put that um, on the books. Eleven and a half mil next could, year. PJ Tucker. Could pencil that in right now. <laughs> Pen. Um, per, yeah. Permanent ink. Yeah, uh, and then KJ Martin's cap hold is like ridiculously small. So I mean, I I think you know the, the expiring salaries are what they are after this season. There's players like Batum is said to be retiring after this season. Marcus Morris is out of the rotation in, in LA. Uh, Covington is Covington, and you know KJ Martin's theoretically the, the most intriguing player there. I still think you have like a, a, a pretty like decent pool of wing like players, and let's just say maybe like Batum or or or, uh, or Morris gets a little bit of a bump because of the change of scenery. Guys sometimes play better in a change of scenery after being in the same place, same system, same teammates forever. Maybe it reinvigorates them a little bit. I, I think there's a lot of value to be extracted in this trade for the Sixers. And now, and you know, everyone's saying, "Well, what's the what's the point of having picks in you know 2028 when Joel's gone by then?" So that's what you do with the picks now. What, what you do with those picks in from now until you know until the end of the season or you know next off season. And I think now the Sixers basically are going to be attached to every trade rumor for a big name player between now and, you know, the off season, because they're going to be one of the teams top in line for players with those picks. Those picks are going to be coveted. And therefore when guys come available, it's going to be like, Oh, Philadelphia is a logical fit. And so the first thing you hear per Chris Mannix of SI is Zach Levine and OG Ananobi. Um, I, I was talking to Derek and Kyle about this before last for the home opener, and they were like, "Well, would you do DeRozan and uh, Caruso?" Uh, you know, it, it, granted, this was before James was traded to the Clippers. It was like James for those two guys, and I said, "I would, I, I would be a little bit concerned about fit there because I think DeRozan and Joel, in terms of where they prefer to, to score, is a little bit like." monotonous and you know it's like overkill you you're you're basically trading long twos for threes a lot of your possessions and so that would kind of concern me caruso as much as pj tucker is not you know not a willing shooter caruso like also has problems there. on the on the usage he's like yeah pj is like setting all-time records and low usage yeah. if you look at like who's next the next lowest in the nba it's pretty much always alex caruso right so I, th- I think if your goal is to create more spacing around Joel, that doesn't actually help you. Even if the talent coming back and DeRozan and then the, the, the defensive capabilities of Caruso are awesome, I still think there are some fit issues there. That doesn't mean that I also would love or would, would recommend a Levine deal too. 
I mean, I, I think with Zach Levine, like, first of all, the contract is hideous. Uh, and, and I think that's even more inflammatory for Philadelphia when you consider that they're getting off Tobias's deal this offseason. Do you really want to go from one albatross uh, to another nasty contract uh, right when you're trying to become like this cap space team? Um, you know, and, and zig while everybody else zags, essentially. And I, you know, I look at Zach Levine and I'm like, well, if you trade for him, you are kind of pigeonholing Tyrese Maxey into being a point guard. And I don't think they have enough data yet on him as a ball handler to definitively say that he is a point guard. He almost would feel like uh, this is an insult to him, but you know, if you're trying to do the, the Murray Jokic thing, which they're doing obviously not as well and not as battle tested as Denver has done it for all these years, but you know, starting to incorporate more dribble handoffs with those two, like Levine is like, it's like shorter Michael Porter making the same amount of money pretty much. So it's like, it's not great. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, I, I agree with almost everything you said there. I, I guess the way I, I look at it is just, yeah, I like what they got back. I mean, I think my first thought was like, okay, it would have been a little nicer if they got man or that 2030 pick, you know, but they couldn't get that. And, you know, maybe I was being too um, hard initially on Maury because they had no leverage. Like, I mean, I, I guess the, the, their leverage was that the Clippers wanted Harden at some point early in this year, because we've seen what happens. Like if you actually want to incorporate that guy, if you bring him onto the team in like February and he plays like 20 games for you, like we saw in 2022 for these guys, that's just not enough time. Like you just, you, you need more of a full season to figure out what works, you know, what, what plays you want to call for them, what combinations, what full lineups you want to deploy them, how you want to stagger stars, defensive matchups, all those different things. Um, so that was the leverage they had. So, but th the reality was there was only one team bidding for them. So to get, like you said, the 2028 pick, that's a really nice pick like that. That has value. I know Steve Ballmer's got a lot of money and, and wants to spend it like a drunken sailor, but, and, and I uh, applaud him for that, like for being a super wealthy man and just, you know, not, bearing any expense for his NBA team. That's how it should be run. Is he being super intelligent with how he's spending that money? I'm not sure because it's like you said, in in three or four years, when that when that pick becomes available, those three guys are going to be old as hell. They're not even going to be good. And if if you're the Sixers and you trade them hard in, which kind of locks them into this core, like you would think so, they're kind of doubling down a little bit. That means probably long-term deals for Kawhi and PG, which I thought, was going to come anyway. It didn't seem like those guys wanted to leave LA. That's kind of helping your bet, right? Like they, they won't be able to retool um, in time that way. So look, I like what they got. I'm also way higher, even though it is protected one to three. Like I, I feel like I'm way higher on pick swaps than most people just because, you know, most people say like, all right, but that's not an actual first round pick. Like it's just a, it's a lottery chance and you have to be good and you're not actually gaining a pick. You might just trade up in the lottery like who cares like if it's like the number five pick in the draft like i think that's that's worth a swing and you see a lot of these different trades like that's valuable like you know when um utah and makes the the go, go bear trade like that's valuable to just have those swings right like yeah um boston's done it with brooklyn in the past too like i, I think that's pretty good but i i guess the the way i settled on it because obviously this is kind of a two move grade here like yeah i think i gave them like a b or so like on the initial Harden trade, but ultimately like that doesn't matter 
as much as what do they do with this stuff, right? You, you said it. Like they're not they're not making that 2028 Clippers pick. The, the reason they got it is it's a good pick, and hopefully they can entice somebody else to take it because it's so good, and they can uh, they can add to this core that they have. Um, but it, and it's kind of the same thing with you know, like you said, like even in the short term with these wings, it's like yeah, these guys had fallen out of favor. I don't know how good they are, but you could talk me into them being a little better around Maxi and, uh, and Embiid. So, and I, I guess I fall on this. It's just that cap space assets, flexibility. I agree. They, they've improved all of those things and, and those things are good in a vacuum. I'm just wondering like, who, who are they getting right? Like what is the strategy here? Because you mentioned the names, OG Anunobi. Okay. Like, one of the best wing defenders in the league. Like he's terrific can make an open three. Am I trading a ton of stuff and then giving him a lot of money that you really kind of, that, that fits with Embiid and Maxi, but you're also betting on Maxi being really damn good, which in fairness, he might be Levine. I think, I think I'm just out on that. Like I just, the, the contract is so bad. Your defense isn't that good. Like I, I, I think he's a terrific scorer, but he's also never played for any good teams, which I think at this point is like, it's not entirely on him, you know, that there are four other guys on the basketball court, but it's it's a little bit on him as well. Um, and I just kind of wonder, like, what are they getting with all of that cap space? You know, Siakam, whatever. You, you hear all these names. It's not all that inspiring to the point you're kind of hearing, like, should they go after more depth pieces and kind of low cap holds and try and do it that way? Maybe that also, like, like who are the guys, right? Like, you know, that sounds good in theory. Oh, let's get a really deep team. Okay, but right. like, who are the players that makes it feasible? So that's kind of where I'm at with this trade where it's like, okay, I think it's good. Like, I, I think those picks are fine and, and hopefully they're, they're able to, you know, spin it and, you know, try and build around Embiid and Maxi who have looked really good in the early going. But I also don't know, like, it, it's not apparent to me what that solution is right now. And, you know, maybe it takes some dis disgruntled star X who's a little bit better than the Levine and, you tier just, freaking out on his team this year wanting out and that team saying okay we'll take the clippers pick and the 2036ers pick and you know whatever matching salary you want we'll call it a day all those things maybe that's what happens but but right now it's not apparent to me and that's i think that's something that i think most people would agree on you said it perfectly in your newsletter which i read today and when i saw it i was like yes he said exactly what i was thinking uh Incomplete was the was, was the right grade. Is what you said. It was the right yeah. grade here. I totally agree. It is a hundred percent incomplete deal. It only matters what you do with those picks now that you have them and and how you expense them to add to your team. And I you know I, I do think that the whole Levine thing. I think he's like you know he, he's an he's been an incredible he's become an incredible shooter after shooting was like the thing that was like kind of his big sin uh, when he was coming into the NBA and. He, whether it's off the catch, off the dribble, an incredible shooter. The thing about Levine that would concern me is he has an incredibly high volume of pick and rolls with the Bulls. And so he's the balls in his hands a lot. Uh, and he is like a, his assist to turnover ratio for his career is like 1.5 to 1, which is not good at all. Um, so you are basically saying, okay, Tyrese, you haven't earned the audition to be the primary ball handler for this team when you make that trade and you're also basically saying uh, we have to pigeonhole someone into the point guard role that might not actually be there. And with two defenders 
you know, one of Levine's caliber, which is not good, and one of Tyrese, who at least has still some upside, but still probably not good because given his size, I, I don't think you can afford to make the gamble on two guys that are as similar in terms of what they give you on the offensive end. It would be one thing if it was like a James, and yeah, and it, and it, and it worked because James is one of the most dynamic. He's a point guard, yeah, right. Like it works because the offense can overcome the defense. In this case, I don't know that you have enough diversity of your skill set to actually make it work. And so I would pass on that deal because the contract is awful. Um, and it just like it's 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 a it's an awkward fit. You don't have enough playmaking. The the Ananobi deal, I think, is what I would if I had to bet right now, is what I would think is the one that they're angling for. Daryl said today in his in his post trade availability that you know, like ideally they want to spend their cap space early, which means trade for a guy and then re-sign him, which Anadobi is a free agent this offseason. Um, so, I mean, I think that's essentially like the, the idea, the concept that they're shooting for. And, you know, Anadobi has become a very good catch-and-shoot guy. And I think you can you can use him uh, successfully as, you know, a catch-and-go. Catch-and, okay, I'm going to attack, close out, and go to the basket, you know, whatever. I don't know that I'm ready to give up my draft equity for that for for a guy who is largely you know known for his defensive side of the court, and then give him a big deal if I if I'm basically committing myself to a guy whose offensive upside is a, he's a three and D he's a, he's a, one of the best three and D guys in the NBA, but he's not like the Mikael Bridges three and D mold where he can handle a little bit, he can shoot off the dribble, he can shoot from all over the court. It's this guy is catching and shooting from beyond the arc. He's catching and going, or he, or, and that's it. And so, I think you, I think you have right, and you, you should be concerned if those two are the names that you are looking at. And I think that is even more reason for the Sixers to not rush this. Say, okay, we're going to let Tyrese have a legitimate chance here to be our starting point guard, uh, and you know we'll address what this team needs down the line as it gets close to February, if we decide that we're good enough uh, at by, you know, by the deadline, we know we can push this into summer. Okay. I think that's fine. I, I don't, I think you, you can afford to delay this even into the summer. If that means shorting your own season here, you just can't mess up what you do with the, with those draft picks. Yeah. I, I think of those, three names i think andy Nobi is the one that interests me the most even if he's probably the most limited offensive player of those three and you know it's like you said uh you don't want him running pick and rolls you don't want him running ice we we saw what happened in toronto nick nurse saw what happened in toronto when that happened and you just don't have a very good half court offense like he he probably the way he needs to play is pretty much just catch and shoot some back cutting now would it you know if they have this cool offensive system where they're moving the ball and back screening and dribble handoffs. Maybe he fits in in that a little more. Maybe he could do a little bit more secondary playmaking. You know, I mean, we've only seen three games. They've only played, you know, you know, for a week here. And one of the games against Portland, it was terrible. So like, I'm sure it'll be a little bit harder than that moving forward. Um, but he interests me just cause like, ideally you want somebody in between Tyrese and Joel on the positional spectrum you want somebody who can guard and take on the toughest matchups. He's going to be fantastic at that. Um, and that would be a little bit of a bet on just Tyrese taking another step, which again, when the Sixers have limited options and there aren't kind of these slam dunk choices, I think that's fair, but 
it's just a concern. Like, do you, do you have enough offensively um, after that with the, with the resources that you have? And maybe the answer to that's yes. Uh, my big question now moving forward is how much do they care about this season? They can use this. They can use the picks. They can use um, the expiring contracts in two different ways, right? They can use it in the off season with the, with the cap space. And um, you know, I, I guess they could use the picks on top of the cap space too. They, they wouldn't exactly, need to use that in the off season or they can use it like you said in like january or february and like try to make an honest run here and does joel care about that more i I assume he would prefer it all things being equal but how much does he care like are the options going to be a lot better in the summer than they are in uh in february so that's that's kind of where my head is at like i I think they they do have the flexibility they can put all of these medium-sized contracts up attach the uh the picks that they have and and make a really competitive offer to a lot of teams and let those teams get away from those contracts quickly which i think is very valuable in uh in this new cba like with how um constraining it is you know all these expiring contracts i feel like we're back in like the late 90s early 2000s the expiring contract is back baby it's uh (laughs) it's it's a valuable asset and they have a bunch of them um but how much do they care and like how much better might it get in the offseason and truthfully I, I don't know what the answer to that is yes yeah, it's true because the freedom class is like daryl said today it was like you know it's it's just like any freedom class i would probably give a little bit of pushback on that i think it's quite underwhelming uh i think in fact og is well, probably is yeah i, I agree with ahead. you i would say i would say to daryl's point it is like any free agent class now all the free agent classes suck now they all do like the, the way yeah. players get moved is via trade. They sign the big contract and then some team ponies up a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff for them. That's how, that's how player movement works now. Yeah, no, it, it, it's totally true. And I, I just think like, it, it's not a good enough class to where like you can just, re, you know, rest your laurels on, Oh, well we didn't trade for anybody. So we'll just get them in free agency. Like, okay. Who's that guy? Are you going to go and you're going to go sign Mike Conley? Like go for it. Congratulations. Let's see how that works. Um, and so I, and I think the interesting thing here, especially about Ananobi is if you go for him, right, he's a free agent, you would get his bird rights and you would get Zach Levine's bird rights too, to be fair. Difference is for Zach Levine, it doesn't really matter that you have them because he's on their contract for three more years. But Ananobi, you are getting him under your umbrella right now. You are basically, you're going to have his free, you're going to have his bird rights, this free agency, you already have Tyrese's cap hold of thirteen million. You have some maneuverability right now. If if you were to trade for Nadanobi before the deadline, and you can actually make up some of that depth, the, the, I also think that there is other concern about Ananobi's offensive fit because, you know, in May of twenty twenty two, Jake Fisher reports that he's upset with his role, and he played it off. He said, "I'm I got to know where the reports are that I'm unhappy." I mean, when, when there's smoke, there's usually fire. Um, and if he wants a bigger offensive role because he has a higher opinion of himself than consensus would be, are you then trying to are you then giving you know trying to accommodate him and alleviate those concerns that he has about offensive role by giving him a role that he isn't good enough for? Like, is are you then you know like is, is, is you're you you are running the risk of it being Tobias Harris 2.0, and that isn't to say that Tobias was unhappy with his role in LA. But it, it is it is a case of, you know, the reason that the Sixers haven't part of why the Sixers haven't gotten out of second round in 
since in this era is because 30 something million of their salary cap every year is tied up in a guy who isn't built for the role that he was signed to play. Agree. And that's like, I think Aninobi is the best option of those. It's my favorite of the obvious options now. Like you said, uh, his cap hold, I just looked it up. It's under, it's just under 20 million. So that, that eats into your salary cap space, a, a, a good chunk, but you still have a lot left over to, to shop and, you know, hopefully get some, not, not even like bargain deals. Like, cause again, I, I think we've, we've been talking about how the, the middle class is not going to be excited about this new CBA. Like, I, I think there, there is some decent bargain shopping to, to be done in the, you know, just above the mid level, you know, like the 13 million, 14 million. Like, I think that's going to be a powerful chip that the Sixers might be able to wield where they might be able to jump ahead of that, uh, that mid level market. Um, but yeah, like, I, you know, I, I don't know if he's good enough to command more, uh, more touches. I, I guess the good news there is that like, at least the Sixers have somebody who kind of understands how he's wired, um, understands, you know, you know, his ambition and kind of how he works within a team system in Nick nurse. So I, I guess that's, that's the thing. And, and I, you know, like you look at what the Sixers have now and they, they do have some flexibility. They have a bunch of different ways they can go. We'll see if any of them is the actual right way. Um, I, I think the positive look on this team is that they have a really good coach and a really good general manager. And maybe, maybe the general manager has not looked quite as good because the Harden thing blew up in his face. I think that's absolutely fair. He deserves to be dinged for that. I still have faith in him. Like I still think he's really good at his job. And um, we'll see. Nick Nurse is, I was a little bit skeptical about like him revolutionizing the offense. It's early. It's early. I don't want to just react to three games. Looks like he's doing a pretty good job so far. So if, if you trust the infrastructure here, which I generally do, okay, let's see what they can do here. You it's a great segue to what to wanted to get your general thoughts on what you've seen on the court. I, you know, I, in training camp, I, one of the prevailing feelings was like early on, they were like, we, we fucking love this guy. Like the players were like eyes wide open, adore him. Um, you know, and it wasn't even just like, Oh, you know, like the typical media speak, like, I'm just going to like give you some not real answer just to like, answer your question even though i don't actually believe it it was like legitimate there was that you could tell the their enthusiasm was 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 authentic like daniel house jr gives this great quote and he hasn't even been in the rotation by the way um but he but you know i asked him you know i know it's early i didn't give it i didn't give him an out i said i know it's early but you know how do you how would you contrast how, how much different is this system from what doc had you doing and he goes well it isn't early at all i can tell you right now and then it was like oh boy what what did we what did we open up here? Uh, and he was, you know, he raved about him. He's empowering the players to be themselves in a way that I'm not sure Doc always did. I think Doc tried to say, like, this is your role. Let's see you master that role rather than, okay, what are you good at? How can we fit that into what we are trying to do here? And I think the players are, are feel more empowered by that. And while everyone was saying that, you know, this team is bad vibes, quote unquote, they in, internally, the players on that team, when 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 the gym was open to, to everybody, they did not look like they were having a bad time at all, and that they didn't look like they were weighed down at all by James Harden. Would he play? Would he not play? They seemed to really believe in themselves. I mean, after the home opener, Tobias, Joel, Nick, I think all three said like, we should be three and zero. 
they, they, they believe they should be undefeated right now. They should have beaten Milwaukee, you know, and that, and that they, you know, were, were, were wronged in a way there, I guess you could say. And their confidence is extremely high. I think it's because they believe in what Nick is preaching. And Joel, it's, 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 it's kind of crazy that Joel says, like, this is the way that I think the game should be played when he won a scoring two scoring titles on the dock and then won an MVP on the dock. But from what I've heard asking around, like he genuinely does like this style of play more than what he was doing under dock. And it's, it, it's wild that he's handling the pressure. Like, you know, when he gets the ball in his hand differently already than he did under, under dock, you know, he, people are cutting around him more. They're more fun to watch plain and simple. Yeah. I, I think for me, and we're not going to know this until the playoffs is that, and I agree with you. They have been more fun to watch through three games. We'll see. Like, you know, there could be a game here where they're not playing Portland, where the ball gets thrown into the eighth row, like six (laughs) times in a row here. What what happens when Kelly Oubre Jr. Starts playing. Not insanely good basketball. He's been, he has been terrific. Like he's playing great. Um, If they can continue to get this out of him, like, like, look, I, I don't think he's going to keep playing at this level, but I also, as somebody who was like, that's a good minimum signing, like, you might as well take a swing, right? Like, you don't have anything yeah. on the wing. Um, it's even well exceeded my expectations so far. So my expectation for him moving forward is is certainly higher than it was heading into the season. Uh, so to me, the the reason they're doing this is because their offense didn't work in the playoffs. Like, that's that's why they're doing this and you know as much as as much grief as doc gets um they had the best offense in the league basically once Harden came back last year they they were the best offense in the league like statistically we're talking about like a four-month span i'm now was it like super imaginative no it was a lot of joe james pick and roll and you know throw the ball ahead to tyrese and and that stuff but like you said it was it was you're a catch and shoot guy for now, for the most part, Tobias, you know, PJ, you're a never shoot guy. Cause you never want to shoot and, and so on and so forth down the, down the pecking order. Um, this is different, right? This is more unpredictable now. Like again, uh, unpredictable is great until it starts not to work. And the Anthony Melton, there's like a whole lot of him and there's a whole lot of Ubre. Like, can you pull off the, this Denver nugget style where, all of these cutters can be hit. It, it's funny. Like when Brett Brown was here, they had all of this ball and player movement, but it felt like too much. It felt like, you know, you had these possessions at the end of playoff games where Joel was trying to throw the ball to JJ in a two man game. And it was just, it was too much. It was like way too much movement and they, they couldn't get it done. Doc was like a little stagnant, right? Like he, it felt like that became predictable in the postseason. And by the way, the Sixers weren't the only team that that happened to. I thought Boston got way too predictable. They just had slightly better players than the Sixers, those type of things. Denver was completely unpredictable. Now they also have great players. They have great size. You know, Aaron Gordon being guarded by smaller players is like a huge deal for them. But like, look, like there's cutting, there's, there's, you know, back screens, there's Murray and Jokic doing the two man game. And it feels to me like the Sixers are trying to replicate that to a degree. Is Joel going to turn into Jokic uh, in terms of a passer? No, no, he is not. Uh, but I like the the process and what I'm seeing. Obviously, Tyrese has been terrific. I think Derek had the the stat. He said it the other day where um, I think through three games, Tyrese has 25 points off dribble handoff so far. And I think last year 
for the entire season, it was like it was like 70 or 80. That's so a lot was, of fucking points already. <laughs> that's totally. And it's like this it's like such a better version of the um of the Reddick and Bede one because he can do so much more and he can step back and he's a better ball handler and and all of these things. So look, I, I've been really impressed by how this works. And I, I think or in the first three games, I'm a little skeptical moving forward. Like let's let's see more of it. But I also think it's like the right way to go about it. Like I think they they have a plan here. They're doing it for a reason. It's not really to make it more aesthetically pleasing in the regular season, even though that is happening and it's cool. I'm I'm enjoying watching them. I'm also happy Harden is gone so they can continue to play this style. But there's like a method to the madness. So I overall through three games, it's been it's been a lot of fun. And I also think it's been fun for what I would call the right reasons. I think you can lean too far into being unpredictable to where when it comes to crunch time, you are actually like, like you don't know what your nucleus of your yeah. offense looks like because yeah, exactly. you're trying to get too many guys involved. Granted, I think it, it's less risky in Philadelphia specifically because you, it's not it's like, Hey, if you get the ball to the guy who's seven foot tall and can that, you can get 35 minutes sleep. Uh, let's try that one. Um, you know, so I think it's there's less risk there, but you are right. Last thing before I let you go here, uh, you, you know, you, you were you and I were on the beat together covering James, I think for a year and a half. What's going to be your lasting memory of the James experience? It's, it's a hard one. I think the the thing that I, I remember, I guess, is the exit and just the the general degree of apathy around it. Like when Ben Simmons was doing his whole thing here. You know, and he was holding out and Rich Paul was, you know, leaking a report to the media every week, ridiculous report after ridiculous report after ridiculous report. There was like real anger, I felt like, and animosity in the fan base. And I think part of that is born out of like Ben was the guy who was drafted here. Ben was a great player here for a little while. And it felt like he had so much promise and he was a fan favorite. He played his ass off every game, even though he couldn't wouldn't couldn't whatever shoot whatever you want to what the verb is there like there was a degree of i guess an emotional attachment to him which made the 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 separation so much messier than this hardened one this hardened one is just like all right thank god like you know a a lot of people just are are like see a loser and i i don't obviously go that far as somebody who covered him but like i feel like there just was not the level of emotion and he, he just never resonated with people quite in that same way. Like I, I'll be the first person to say it. Like I, I thought last year he did his job. Like he really did. Like he, I agree hundred percent. They, they ran the best offense in the league and I get it. He had four stinkers. Everybody says five stinkers, by the way, in the Boston series. No four. The game five was pretty good by Harden too. Everybody yeah, was, it was like 17, 11. It was like yeah. turnover. It was Every, yeah. he, he ran good offense. That was, that was a perfectly acceptable game. That was a B game. And he had the two A pluses and yeah, I get it. The other four were F's like I'm with you, but at some point, like when he gives you the two A pluses, like Joel, can you get them over the hump please? Like, and that's unfortunately, I I love Joe, but that's a part of, um, of his story at this point. I I walked away from that series being more more disappointed with him than Harden. Um, for sure. But, but ultimately, yeah, he just felt like a mercenary, right? And I think I think that adds, to, you know, what, what I just said about Joel. Yeah, like the disappointment comes from like he's been the guy. He is the franchise. He has made us laugh. And, you know, we've seen him grow up and, and turn into just a much more mature individual, just like everybody does through, through their 20s. And he's just resonated with everybody so much more. 
whereas James felt like a hired gun. Um, and that's how it was. Like, I think watching him play at times was incredible. Like I think the guy is like literally a basketball genius, but I also understand kind of why, like, does he have like a fan base that is ride or die for him at this point? Like, like who, who are his fans? And it's certainly not Philadelphia people. It's not Brooklyn people. I, I guess it would be Houston people, even though kind of took a shit on that franchise on the way out yeah. too. Um, ultimately I, I kind of understand why because you know whether it's just his aloof nature which i don't necessarily think is always a bad thing or just the fact that he's moving and quitting on different teams um he just he just didn't really connect emotionally with um with this city in the same way and you know hey maybe that's different if they just make a couple threes at the end of game six like maybe that maybe that ends up being different but ultimately that has been the story of his career and it was not any different here. I think I kind of remember him as he'll be someone who was as mercurial off the court as he is on the court. And that your, your variance with him playing is so like insane, like highs are through the roof and the lows are through the, are through the ground. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you know, and I think he's very misunderstood in some ways. And that isn't to say like, I'm going to do like the whole James, like his great spiel. I think he's become underrated because of what everyone associates him with of his playoff failures but also like you know fans and media like they've painted him as this villain as this asshole this bad guy james there, there are two great stories that just you know that i had about james was one when he was and they were in training camp in south carolina before last season i was waiting for my uber and i was making small talk with people who were you know the, the bellboys at the hotel where the team was staying and um, I said, like, who was the best tipper? And they both said, like, on a dime, James. It was not close. And he, so he was, you know, very, you know, uh, leaving, leaving very gratuitous tips. And then uh, in one of the games where his friends were in town, uh, he comes out and he, you know, he, he comes out and comes up to them and he gives them quietly where no one can see a big bundle of Adidas gift cards. And he went, he says, like, give these to the kids. And they were giving out these gift cards to random kids in the crowd. Just like, get, like for, and he didn't want any attention. He didn't want any credit. It was just like, you know, it was just a nice gesture by a guy who didn't have to do that. And so I think James is a better, is probably a, a, is a better person giving credit for. But I also think that he has his own warts that he has to work out. I mean, the reporting on what happened here, why it fell apart is weird in that it kind of makes it seem like James and his camp jumped the gun because they got scared um, when Daryl kind of ghosted them, I guess you could say, is what is reportedly said. And it sounds like the Sixers never got a chance to actually present him with an offer, which I think if you're James, like, dude, you have to, like, your representation should not be telling you to abandon ship before you even get a chance to, like, talk to the team. Like, that, like that's not, it's not smart. And so, I, you know, I think there are some personal emotional awards that he might have to you know think about is like you know this isn't this isn't his league anymore you know he's not 1a anymore and you know you have to plan accordingly to be willing to sacrifice not just for yourself and for what it means for you but for the betterment of your team as kyle wrote in his column a couple of days ago and so i think uh you know with with him and his future like I don't know how much longer he's going to have in this league because of the, the, the perception of him. But I do know that, like, it's a shame that you, this is the path that he has elected to take because he's a better player than this. Um, but I also feel like, you know, 
this is something for Daryl to learn from as well. Like, this is now twice, you know, well, three times actually, because Chris Paul felt like he had been lied to, even though later it came out that there was miscommunication. But, you know, Ben Simmons, part of why he wanted out of Philadelphia was Daryl never, from what I understand, Daryl never really tried to make a relationship with him the way that he did with Joel. And, you know, when the, when, when the going got tough between, you know, for, for Daryl to stick out for, stick up for James after game six and seven, he kind of goes to James too. And so I think part of management is you have to manage all your relationships with your players better and be not just tight with your 1A, but also make sure that everyone up and down the roster feels valued. And I'm not sure that Daryl went far enough to make James feel valued um, at a time when there was vulnerability. And I think that's why they, this relationship crumbled and why they ended up where they are now. And so as James is now on his third team after his third trade request, he his perception takes a shot, his image takes a shot. But also I think there's something Daryl has to look at here internally. Yeah. And, and I think I just go back to like, I'm certainly not going to like, and I think most, maybe Sixers fans will, but like, I don't think there's going to be like, anti-Harden sentiment like I like like it was with Simmons like I don't think whenever Harden comes back to Philly yeah he'll get booed like crazy but it won't be like the type yeah, of atmosphere we saw when Brooklyn came back and Ben had the hockey jersey on on the, the bench like <laughs> I don't I don't think it's going to be the same thing like I just think people don't care quite as much because uh he wasn't here for as long and yeah I mean James has made some really really bad business decisions as far as you know his salaries over the past couple of years um just part of the story. Um, and you know, I, I do think, I think the shame of it too, is that like, he still has the skill set to age fairly gracefully as far as superstars are concerned. He really does like the passing and, and the shooting, like, like he has the chance to be, you know, I know Vince Carter is always like the one who, um, who gets brought up. Like, yeah, he might not be able to play until he's like 42 or however long that was, but like, he could still be pretty damn good for like, four or five more years just because like he's really really smart and um you know he has enough size where it's not like a disaster to play but uh he's gonna have to figure that out in la i'm very curious to see how that works um you know I, there's a lot of talent there but it also i'm not sure how it fits we'll see rich hoffman you are fantastic you can find rich uh you can subscribe to his letter by going to his twitter account Rich underscore Hoffman, H-O-F-M-A and N. It's right in the bio. Just click on the link. You can subscribe there. There's a phenomenal job covering all four teams uh, at P all P-H-L-I. Is it all city? What do you guys go by? Is it just P-H-L-Y sports? Yeah, all city is kind of the, the parent company for it, but P-H-L-Y yeah. is the Philly one. Uh, well, there you go. P-H-L-Y sports uh, you can, where you can find Rich. Rich, thanks so much. All right, awesome. See you, man. <laughs>